This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance. I am an attorney who has retired from the practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant, an expert witness, an author, and producer of these videos. Today, I'd like to talk about insurance bad faith, punitive damages, and what really happens to the insured who collects punitive damages. First off, the tort of bad faith is like the mythical vampire. It hides in the dark. The truth about the tort of bad faith will die only if it is put into the light of day. It does not solve the problems anticipated. Rather, it makes a few lawyers very rich a few insureds receive indemnity for which they did not bargain and makes the cost of insurance to those who wish only to receive the benefits that the contract of insurance promised prohibitive. Modern tax law makes punitive damages exist only for the benefit of the lawyers. Consider the case of Gary L. Greenberg and Irene Greenberg versus the Commissioner of Internal Revenue, a 2011 decision of the United States Tax Court, which dealt with the recipient of insurance bad faith punitive damages, who tried to avoid tax on the award. As a result, the recipient of the award of punitive damages for the bad faith conduct of their insurer resulted in a major, major tax consequence and not the windfall the plaintiffs thought they received. Because the Greenbergs could not convince the tax court of their position, the court not only slapped the Greenbergs down in affirming a tax deficiency of over $1 million, but further sanctioned them with an accuracy-related penalty because the taxpayers had neither substantial authority nor reasonable cause underlying their posture on the tax award. The tax court noted, that the definition of gross income broadly encompasses any addition to a taxpayer's wealth. Therefore, absent an exception by another statutory provision, damage awards from a lawsuit must be included in gross income. In general, Exclusions from income are narrowly construed by the tax court. The Greenbergs argued that the punitive damages they received in their insurance bad faith case may be excluded from income primarily because punitive damages could not have been awarded without the insurance policy. The tax court discounted the but-for argument and found it was discredited by the Supreme Court's analysis of the appropriate section of the Internal Revenue Code in Ogilvie v. United States, a 1996 decision of the U.S. Supreme Court. 
In that case, the Supreme Court considered an earlier version of the statute that excluded from income the amount of any damages received, whether by suit or agreement, and whether as lump sums or as periodic payments on account of personal injuries or sickness. The court reasoned that both the statute and the intention of Congress to exclude only those damages that compensate for personal injuries or sickness indicated that the exclusion does not include punitive damages. The tax court decision in part stated that Gary Greenberg purchased a private disability income insurance policy from the Paul Revere Life Insurance Company in 1988. Greenberg purchased the policy entirely with after-tax dollars and did not receive any contribution from his employer. In 1990, Greenberg became disabled and filed a claim with Paul Revere. Paul Revere accepted his claim and paid benefits until approximately September of 1998. After Paul Revere ceased paying benefits, Greenberg sued, alleging breach of contract and insurance bad faith. In 2004, the U.S. District Court for the District of Arizona ruled in favor of Greenberg and awarded damages as follows. Amount past disability benefits and premiums of $151,552.42, future disability payments of $395,893, and punitive damages of $2,400,000. Total judgment was $3,349,659.19, and Paul Revere paid the judgment in full. Greenberg did not report any part of the award on their federal income tax return for 2004 or any other year. Greenberg also received $199 in interest income in 2004 that he did not report. The notice of deficiency adjusted petitioner's income to include the punitive damages, interest, and the proportional amount of costs and fees awarded in the lawsuit, as well as the $199 in interest income. The adjustments did not include the compensatory damages awarded, nor legal fees and costs that the portion the parties have stipulated was attributable to those payments. Greenberg contested the determination that they are not entitled to exclude the punitive damages from income. Greenberg conceded, however, that the $61,000 in interest received from the lawsuit may not be excluded from income, nor the $199 of additional interest. The definition, however, of gross income broadly encompasses any accession to a taxpayer's wealth. 
Therefore, absent any exception by another statutory provision, damage awards from a lawsuit must be included in gross income. The statute permits taxpayers to exclude from gross income amounts received through accident or health insurance or through an arrangement having the effect of accident or health insurance for personal injuries or sickness other than the amounts received by an employee to the extent such amounts are attributable to contributions by the employer. There is no legal or linguistic reason to distinguish between the limitations of the Statute 104A2, that damages be received on account of personal injuries or sickness, and the limitation of Section 104A3, that the amounts received through accident or health insurance must be received for personal injuries or sickness. Any punitive damages award, arguably, is made because of some injury and thus would not be awarded but for the injury. Punitive damages are for the purpose of punishment, not compensation for personal injuries or sickness and therefore do not meet the requirements of the statute. Congress has amended Section 104A to address punitive damages in the context of Section 104A2. That section was first amended to address punitive damages to eliminate from the exclusion punitive damages in a case not involving physical injury or physical sickness. The Supreme Court held that this amendment did not imply that all other punitive damages were excluded from the section because the provision was intended as a legislative compromise regarding non-physical injuries or simply a clarification of the current law rather than a change to the law regarding punitive damages. Congress further amended the statute specifically accepting punitive damages from the exclusion. Greenberg contended that Congress must have intended Section 104A3 to encompass punitive damages because it failed to amend that section when it amended Section 104A2. Petitioners, Greenberg, however, offered no evidence of Congress's intent. Greenberg's claim that the punitive damages they received were not punitive, but were bad faith damages. They contend without citation of relevant authority that damages awards that serve both to compensate and punish are excludable. The punitive damages they received are ineligible to be excluded because they are not compensating for personal injuries or sickness, even if attributable to bad faith accompanying contractual obligations. For the reasons stated, the Greenbergs are not entitled to exclude from gross income the punitive damages they received. The legal fees and costs received in a judgment that correspond to taxable damages are also taxable. The parties have stipulated that $63,411 of the costs and fees are related to the damages that petitioners Greenberg may exclude from income. 
the balance of the costs and fees that Greenberg received in the lawsuit is taxable. The government agreed that petitioners, the Greenbergs, may deduct those costs and fees as a miscellaneous itemized deduction subject to applicable rules. In essence, by the time the decision was completed, the Greenbergs owed taxes on the full amount of punitive damages, even though their lawyers, under their contingency fee agreement, received half of the punitive damages, and the state and federal taxes would take the other half, or close to it, depending on the state in which the award of punitive damages was rendered. So if you consider an insurance bad faith judgment in the state of California, where the jury awards a million dollars in compensatory and nine million in punitive damages, the plaintiff's lawyer in a standard contingency fee agreement takes 40% of the gross award or $4 million and expenses of half a million for experts and other litigation expenses. The plaintiff's share of the recovery is $5,500,000. If the plaintiffs live in California or New York, they'll pay approximately a 39% federal income tax and approximately 10 to 13% state income tax on their gross earnings in that year. Assuming the plaintiffs earn nothing in the year of the judgment, they are responsible to pay taxes on the $9 million punitive damage award, slightly less than the $4,500,000 they netted. In essence, they receive none of the punitive damages award, and the lawyer only pays taxes on his $4 million recovery of legal fees. Also, if they attempt to avoid paying tax on the punitive damages award, they may be assessed a 20% penalty. Where punitive damages are awarded to a taxpayer, instances of undeniable accession to wealth clearly realized and over which the taxpayers have complete dominion are income for the purpose of income tax. The mere fact that the payments were extracted from the wrongdoers as punishment for unlawful conduct cannot detract from the character as taxable income. The U.S. Supreme Court noted that punitive damages cannot reasonably be classified as gifts, nor do they come under any other exemption provision in the Internal Revenue Code. It would do violence to the plain meaning of the income tax statutes and restrict a clear legislative attempt to bring the taxing power to bear upon all receipts tax constitutionally taxable. Punitive damages, therefore, are gross income. Most tort lawyers, both plaintiff and defendant, are not knowledgeable about tax consequences. Counsel for plaintiffs who are seeking punitive damages 
should carefully advise their clients of the tax consequences of the recovery of punitive damages if they know enough or should require that each plaintiff seek the advice of a tax professional before agreeing to proceed with the suit or trial seeking punitive damages. If the plaintiffs Greenberg had consulted with tax lawyers and been advised that they would be required to pay the tops, top tax rate on the full amount of punitive damages awarded to them, even though 40 to 50% of those damages were paid as part of a contingency agreement with their lawyer, they might have agreed to the defendant's settlement offers, none of which were designated to be punitive damages. The tax consequences on the plaintiffs merely adds to the application of the law of unintended consequences. If only lawyers obtain the benefit of punitive damages and the claim bad faith damages, much effort is being incurred to make some lawyers rich and the litigant in worse shape than they would have been had no punitive damages been awarded it's simply a problem that needs resolution and needs always clear and competent advice by the plaintiff's lawyer concerning the effect of punitive damages on their tax situation. This video was adapted from my book, Insurance Fraud, Volume 2. How Lawyers and Claims People Defeat Insurance Fraud, which is available as both a Kindle book and a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be useful or interesting, please forward it to your colleagues. It's free. And please subscribe to my YouTube channel, my Rumble channel, and my blog so you can be advised of future blog posts and videos. Thank you for your attention.